In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray by giving them a prayer. And we've come to call that prayer the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Okay, I learned the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version, and for the life of me, I cannot say it any other way. So anytime I do a different version of it, I always have to read it. So I'm going to read that prayer. But if you know the Lord's Prayer, just go ahead and say it out loud with me, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Way, way back in 1985. The Chicago Bears football team had a season for the ages that ended with a Super Bowl championship. That team was known for a couple of things. One was for having an all-time great defensive team. But the other way that they were known is they had a great cast of characters, including head coach Mike Ditka, quarterback Jim McMahon, and 350-pound lineman William the Refrigerator Perry. One of the greatest nicknames in all of sports history. Well, one day, Coach Dick had decided to close a team meeting with a recitation of the Lord's Prayer. And he asked the fridge to say the prayer. Well, Jim McMahon was sitting next to the team's chaplain. He leaned over and he said, I'll bet you 50 bucks the fridge does not know the Lord's Prayer. Well, after a considerable pause, the fridge bowed his head to pray. And he said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. After the prayer, Jim McMahon hands 50 bucks to the team chaplain and said, Wow, I really didn't think he knew it. (laughs) You know, sometimes we don't know the Bible as well as we should, or even as well as we think we do. And that's a shame, because in the Bible, what's revealed to us is who God is, who we are, what the meaning of life is, and what happens to us when we die. Those four things, those four questions, are something that every human heart desires to have answered. And that's why the test of any worldview and of any religion is an accounting of these four things. And what accounts for them the best. And Christianity is the only worldview that can account for all four of those things in a logically consistent and rationally coherent manner. And whenever you have those deep questions, who God is, who I am, what's the meaning of life, and what happens to me when I die, when you have those four questions answered, and you are confident in those answers, you are able, you are empowered to walk through this fallen and broken world with confidence and with joy, no matter what happens to you in this life. No matter what circumstance you go through. And the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians is a great example of this. Paul begins that letter by announcing who the recipients of the letter letter is. He, He says, hey, this is who I'm writing to. This is who this letter is for. And in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to all God's holy people... In Christ Jesus at Philippi. So that's who Paul is writing to. 
And for Paul, that term, in Christ, is a very technical term. He's not using that just because it sounds good. There is a load of meaning behind those two words, in Christ. For Paul, it's baptismal language. And so the people who are in Christ, in Paul's view, are those who have been baptized into Christ. That's how you enter into Christ. Those who have been baptized, and as a result, they now have a new identity, a new sense of purpose, a new mission, and they have a new outlook on life. People who are in Christ have stepped into a new reality. They no longer see things just as they are in the here and now. They're able to see the bigger picture of God's redemptive plan. This is who Paul is writing to. This is what he means when he says, I'm writing to all of those who are in Christ. But another important fact about this letter to Philippi that's revealed to us in chapter 1 is where Paul's writing this letter from. As you've learned, Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. And he even mentions it and refers to it in verses 12 through 14 of chapter 1. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and are, all the, and are all the more to proclaim and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul is saying, hey, I'm writing this letter from prison, but he has a very different attitude about that than we might have, right? I mean, if we were sitting in a jail cell writing a letter to some good friends, we might talk about how bummed out we are that we're sitting in a prison cell. But not Paul. He's able to see the bigger picture. He's able to see that, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm in prison. And Paul will actually later say, I mean, you can kind of pick up on this throughout the letter, that that's not the ideal situation for Paul. It's not that Paul wants to be there. But Paul knows that God is big enough to take any situation and use it for His glory, to advance His cause, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's able to see that from a prison cell. He's even able to see that, hey, because of my predicament that I'm sitting in this prison cell, what actually has happened is that Jesus has been proclaimed even more powerfully than before. And those who are in Christ have become bold and courageous. And now they're stepping out there and they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear. So, Paul says, I'm writing this from a prison cell. And that's one of the images that helps us walk through the first chapter of Philippians. Paul is in prison writing this letter. Which is amazing when you think about what's in the letter. I mean, the letter is all about joy, right? And one of the most recurring words throughout the letter is rejoice. And he's writing it from a prison cell. Another image that comes up in Philippians chapter 1 is this image of a courtroom. Because Paul is there because he is defending the gospel. 
And so it's kind of like this image, like he's a lawyer in a courtroom and he's defending Christ. He's defending the truth of Jesus Christ in verse 16 of chapter 1. That's what he says. He says, hey, I'm in this prison cell because of my defense of the gospel. And then the third image that we have is an image of a gravestone or of a cemetery. Because in Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks openly and honestly about death. But it's not just death in general. He talks about his death. But he talks about it again in a really surprising way. Listen to what he says about death in verses 18 through 21. He says, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a powerful statement. And Paul readily admits that he may not get out of that jail cell. Paul readily admits that he might very well be executed for what he's been doing, for his defense of the gospel. But what you hear there is Paul saying, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. In fact, Paul says, I'm more than okay. But how could that be? How could Paul talk about something like this? I mean, this gravestone, that little thing right there, that little rectangle, it's blank. So Paul envisions a gravestone, and it's his name that he sees on that gravestone. And yet he's talking about rejoicing. How can that be? It goes back to those two words, in Christ. And here's what's interesting in Philippians. It's because he's in Christ that he's in the circumstance he's in. Paul understands that being in Christ means that you become a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. That's your job when you're in Christ. And so Paul makes it the mission of his life to defend the gospel. But ironically, defending the gospel is what got him here. In this prison cell. And defending the gospel is what's going to lead to this. So what's interesting is that Paul says, you know what? I am in Christ and because I'm in Christ, man, I'm stuck in a prison cell. That I may not get out of. In fact, they may take me straight from that prison cell and cut my head off. I may be going straight from there to there. Now you would think that Paul would look at that and go, you know, now that I think about it, man, being in Christ isn't all it's cracked up to be. I mean, being in Christ, look where it's got me. You know what? This being in Christ thing's for the birds. Forget it. If this is what it means to be in Christ, 
I don't want to be in Christ anymore. But that's not what Paul says, is it? Paul says the exact opposite of what you would think he might say in this situation. He's rejoicing. He's not scared of dying. He says, for me, it's gain. And it all goes back again to in Christ. Here's what Paul means to be in Christ. What it means for him. It means, being in Christ means that he has a Lord. He has a Savior that is bigger than any circumstance he will face in this life. He's stuck in a prison cell. Paul says, that's okay. That's okay, because my God is bigger than this. My God is bigger than whatever happens to me in this life. My God is bigger than what my enemies might do to me. My God is bigger than my circumstance. And because He's bigger than my circumstance, my God is able to bring forth good out of it. God can use my circumstance, whether that circumstance is good or bad, for His Glory. Paul also knew that being in Christ meant that it gave his life a new mission. Paul was a man on a mission. And his mission wasn't attached to a job or a job title. Meaning that we can be on mission for Christ no matter what we do to pay the bills. Paul was a man on mission because when you're in Christ... You receive a new mission. And so Paul was all about advancing the kingdom of God, advancing the cause of Christ, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the way that this mission was going to be accomplished was through this negative circumstance, Paul said, then that's okay, bring it on. Because the mission is more important than my comfort. The mission is more important than my earthly comfort. And convenience. But Paul also knew something else about being in Christ. It meant that he had direction in his life. Paul, when he was in Christ, being in Christ for Paul meant that you were set on a path that was leading straight to eternity. That's why he wasn't afraid to die. That's why he was able to say that for me to die is gain. Because when you're in Christ and you have a God who's bigger than your circumstance, you know that death is not the end of your story. That your story goes on. That death is part of the journey, but it's not the end of the journey. Because our Lord, because our Savior is a resurrected Lord and Savior who promises the same to those who are in Christ, we know that the direction of our lives continues beyond the grave. Paul was moving in the direction of Jesus Christ. Everything he did was in this direction. This is what it meant for Paul to be in Christ. This is why he could speak of joy as he's sitting in a prison cell. But Paul also knew something else about being in Christ. That when you're in Christ, you're not alone. And we know that. We know that Jesus is with us. God is with us. His Spirit fills us, indwells us. He knows that. We're not alone in that regard. But Paul also knew he wasn't alone because of all the other people who were also in Christ with him. It was a family. It created a new family. 
So, Paul knew that this new family, this family of believers, the family, the fellowship of those who were in Christ, what that meant for Paul is that he knew that no matter what circumstance he went through, there were going to be people there who were going to love him through that. They were going to come to His aid. Because you see, that what, that's what it means to be in fellowship in Christ. That we come to the aid of our other believers who are down. And we rejoice with them when they're up. So Paul knew no matter what he went through, he wasn't alone. There were going to be others there who would help him. Paul also knew that because of this fellowship, this family, that the mission of Christ would continue. Whether he got out of that jail cell or not, the mission of Jesus was going to move forward. Whether he died or not, the mission of Jesus was going to go forward. Paul knew the mission of Jesus Christ did not end with him because there were all these other people who were in Christ and they also had received a new mission and that's what they were going to do with their lives. Paul also knew that this fellowship of people who were in Christ were also helping him stay on the Jesus path. And he was helping them stay on the Jesus path. So Paul knew that he wasn't walking this road alone. There were others with him. And that's a powerful thought. To know that you're not alone, not only because Jesus is with you, but because the people who are sitting right next to you are with you. We use the word fellowship a lot in our congregations. And it's a great word. It's a biblical word. And what we usually mean by fellowship is, we usually mean it's a family of believers. We also you know, refer to the activities we do together. We refer to those activities a lot by fellowship, having fellowship with one another. But the original Greek word for fellowship also carries with it the idea of partnership. Paul knew he had partners. Not just friends. Not just acquaintances, not just people he saw at camp once a year. He knew that when you're in Christ, you become partners. So it wasn't Paul who was just sitting in this jail cell. Everybody else felt it too. They were partners with him. And when you're partners, when you see somebody who's down, you come to their aid. Paul knew that they were partners and that's how the mission of Jesus was going to go forward. Imagine it. We're all different. We all have different talents, different abilities. We can all reach different people than each other. You're going to be able to speak the gospel into the life of someone I'll never get to meet. And I'll be able to do the same. But if we're all on mission together, look at how the word of Jesus spreads. But Paul also knew that being partners meant that we were in this together We were holding each other accountable to walking the Jesus path. Let me share with you a story that illustrates this idea of partnership. A few years ago, a preacher friend of mine told me a story about something amazing that happened at his congregation that he preaches at. He said they had a new member. It was a single mom and her child that came into their midst and and, uh, just began attending and they welcomed her in with open arms, her and her child, and began to study the Bible with her, eventually baptized her, and she became an involved part of this church family. And the more that they got to know this woman, the more they got to know her story. And when they got to know her story, they got to know that she was a victim of domestic violence and abuse. Her husband, who was now her ex-husband by the time she came into this church fellowship, 
was an angry drunk. He got drunk often. And when he got drunk, he turned violent. And when he turned violent, he turned his fist on her. And he beat her regularly. And what's even more sad than that is that it continued even after the divorce. He would get drunk. He would show up at her house. He would beat her all over again. Well, the, the men in this congregation just couldn't stand it. So one night, a large group of men from this church showed up at her house. They didn't tell her they were coming. They didn't tell her that they were coming. They just showed up and they made a circle all the way around her house. And they stood guard that night. And sure enough, her ex-husband came calling. He was drunk. He came to do some more harm with his fist. But there was a line of men, a wall of men. And they said, you're not getting through us. Those men showed up the second night. So did the ex-husband. Those men showed up the third night. So did the ex-husband. Those men told him, what they were doing and why they were doing it and who they were doing it for. They said, she's part of our family. And we're going to protect her. And they prayed over her. They prayed over her house. And they prayed for her ex-husband. Those men showed up the fourth night. But the ex-husband didn't. The men showed up the fifth night. The ex-husband didn't. The men showed up the sixth night. The ex-husband didn't and he never showed up again. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be part of the family of Christ. That's what it means to be partners in Christ. It means that we help each other. We come to each other's aid. We protect each other when it's needed. We lift each other up when we're down. We rejoice with each other when we're up. What it meant to that woman was that she was now part of a family that she had never known before. She had never experienced that kind of love before. And it changed her life. Where she used to just see only darkness, she began to see light. Where all she knew was hate and violence, she now began to see love and peace and joy. It's all because of the partnership that's found in Christ. Listen, some of you are going through some circumstances that are really difficult. And it's ripping your heart out. Those of us who are partners, we need to come around you and let you know you're loved and that you're not alone. If you're in Christ, you have a mission. You don't have to be confused about what to do with your life. You have a mission. And you need to stand up and fulfill that mission. If you're in Christ, your life has been given a new direction that leads straight to eternity with God. Walk in that path. 
be in Christ. That doesn't mean you dabble with Christ. It means you go all in with Christ. And for the rest of this week of camp, let's practice with each other what it means to be partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fellowship we have with Christ and for the fellowship we have with other believers who are also in Christ. Lord, tonight I pray boldly for those who are not in Christ because they just haven't taken that step yet. Lord, I pray that your spirit work on their heart, that you will lead them to the waters of baptism, that you will give them the courage and the sincerity to take that step of faith, to be baptized into Christ, washing away their sins and being raised to live a new life in Christ. Lord, because we are in Christ, we know that you are bigger than our circumstances. And so, Lord, we can have joy even in the rough times. And Lord, if there are those here tonight who are going through tough circumstances, Lord, I pray that you give them the joy of the Lord, that you help them see that with Jesus, who is bigger than their circumstance, there's always a reason to rejoice even in difficult times. Lord, give us the faith, like those Philippians, to step out in courage, to have the boldness to carry on the mission of Jesus. And Lord, set our lives, set our feet on the Jesus path. And Lord, I pray that you will keep these young people on that path. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all we have because of Jesus May we fall in love with Jesus more and more every day. In His name we pray. As together we say, Amen.